Welcome to Redemption Community Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit www.redemptiondallas.org. John chapter 8, Let's begin to turn there. How many in this place this morning, you have a need or a situation in your life by the uplifting of your hand that you need the Lord uh, to just touch and, and intervene in? Physical, financial, spiritual, whatever it is, I think we could all say that we do. Uh, we come together, we call this corporate worship, uh, and God is no more uh, in here this morning than he is driving down the road in your car or you walking through Walmart or, or in your home. God fills all time and all space. But when Jesus says where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'll be in the midst of them. Uh, he's saying that knowing that his spirit is everywhere. So there's something in particular special about when God's people come together that he meets them in a special way. We know from uh, the months of uh, preaching, you've heard me say it before, how God's Spirit is like the wind. Now, that's not my analogy, that's the Scripture's analogy, that God's Spirit moves like the wind. And the wind, it begins to move, and this is the, the analogy that Jesus uses in John 3. And this is what we see happen when we come together to worship. That as we worship, the Spirit of God begins to move. And when God moves, miracles can happen. We can be touched in a very special way. And so I don't want to be in such a hurry this morning that I miss the realities of life that are here this morning, the struggles, the pains, the sicknesses, uh, all of those things. Uh, so I just ask you if it's appropriate for the person that's next to you, uh, would you just take their hand uh, and, and gather together and would you just begin to pray? Uh, there is power in praying one for another. Amen. We want to pray one for another uh, right now. Father, this morning we ask today in your name, the name that is above every name, and through the power of the Holy Spirit that is here today, we ask you this morning that you would minister in this place in a mighty way. I don't have the words or the ability, Father, but through your Spirit you can touch and move and minister and do what only you can do. So we ask this morning that the operation of the gifts of the Spirit would be manifest in this place, that the gifts of healing would be here today, that you would touch us in a very special way, mentally and emotionally and spiritually, physically, financially, every need that is here today, Father, that you can only touch through your miraculous power. We ask you today, Lord, work miracles in this place this morning. Let signs and wonders confirm your word in this place this morning. Touch us today. Let us feel a touch of your Holy Spirit, to feel the strength that is breathed back into us by your Spirit. Minister now, touch us today. Bind us together, Lord, with the spirit of unity and give us a greater love one for another and a concern as the body ministers to members in this place today. Lord, we need each other. We need you, Lord, but we need each other. We rely on each other. We lean on each other for strength and for prayer today. So minister in this place as a community of believers today. And now as your word goes forth, it is already anointed. Just pray that it would find its place and its purpose. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John chapter 8, we're picking back up 
in our series through the book of John, the life and times of teachings of Jesus Christ, it works out really well that uh, what we're talking about this morning really just continues to move from uh, the series that we had over uh, Resurrection Sunday. This just plays right into that. And I am beginning at verse 48 in John, so it's obvious that I'm, I'm skipping over a lot in John chapter 8 that I'm not working through, uh, but probably still do two sermons uh, this week and next week through these uh, 10 verses of Scripture. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, and again it's obvious that we're jumping in the middle of a story, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? They're accusing Jesus of being demon-possessed. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. And yet you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus, who do you think you are? Saying words like this. And Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. But you have not known Him. I know Him. If I were to say that I do not know Him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know Him and I keep His word. This is, see the conversation. One side's calling him demon-possessed, and he's calling them liars. This is not going well. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. He is here in his early thirties when he's talking to them like this. You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. That is one of the clearest statements Jesus made about Him being God in this verse 58. I am not preaching from that verse this morning. I will next week. That will be next week's sermon just from this one statement. We can't pass over that. Uh, the, us needing to see from Scripture who Jesus said He was. And I'm excited to preach that next week, but I can't. We have to stay in this week's sermon uh, in verse 51 and 52 where Jesus said, If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And that's my sermon this morning is continuing on the theme of the book of John that I hope you've seen by now is Jesus talks a lot about eternal life. And if you keep his word, you will never see death. One more time, Father, your word's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It is forever settled in heaven and it is anointed. It will find its purpose and it will not return void. Anoint our ears to hear, our hearts to receive. Anoint my tongue to speak your word this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. My sermon this morning is one of hope and encouragement. And I say this because I'm going to talk a lot about death. And I'm going to do so 
and say that it is one of hope and encouragement even though we're talking a lot about death. And the great thing about preaching through biblical texts is, and just preaching through the scriptures is that I don't really get to decide the topic. We talk about what is at hand. So the scripture dictates what we talk about. And this today is rooted in the biblical reality of eternal life, which we have already seen is a major theme in the book of John. This is a sermon of hope. I say that because it could appear that in taking up so much time talking about death that we would leave here brought down and not lifted up, and that is entirely not what I want to accomplish this morning. This is a word of encouragement from the Word of God. Death is a reality of life. We don't like talking about it. This is not something that we normally talk about in everyday conversation. We try to avoid these conversations. It holds fears for many people, for all of us, mainly because of the unknown. We fear what we can't control, and we have no control over death, and we fear what we don't know. And there is so much that we don't know about death. Part of the death process is aging. We get older and it is unavoidable, uh, but it is better than the alternative. We, we gladly age. There is an anti-aging industry that sells products to help fight. They say aging, it doesn't help fight aging. You can't stop, nobody can stop aging. It, it tries to offset the external effects of aging. The industry today is about a $200 billion industry. They're forecasting that in a few years it will be a $1 trillion a year industry selling products to help offset the effects of aging. Now you can mainline Botox. You can do whatever you want to fight aging. Uh, it's going to win. You can. It's going to win. You will not beat the effects of aging. It will eventually win with every single one of us. I have found that one of the realities of getting older is that I know more and more people who have passed through the veil. When I was younger, it was, you know, it was quote unquote old people that died. And now I realize that is not at all true. My class uh, that I worked through the years in school had around 100 to 110 students. There are at least three of those students that I know of uh, that have been gone for several years. There are two more people that I went to high school with. One was a year ahead of me and one was a year behind me. Two of those people that have passed away in the last two weeks that I've seen on social media. There were two other guys, twin brothers, that uh, last year, uh, their, their brother was in my grade, but last year those two brothers passed away at the same time. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I think in my head, I think there's, there's seven people that I know of out of a high school of 400 people, and there could be multiple other people that could have gone on before me. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't hear about it. And the point being is that as we get older, that people that we know have already passed on. In high school, none of those seven people you could have looked at and forecasted, well, they'll probably go early. Quite the opposite. Um, you know, they were healthy, vibrant people, and yet their life is already gone. As we get older, people that we know, people that we're close to, it just seems like more and more we, we hear about and know people who have passed through the veil. And so we begin to recognize that life is short and it is very fragile. My 
pastor most of my life who passed away last December used to say from the pulpit often, it is a short walk from the cradle to the grave. I don't think he knew, I think he picked that up somewhere, I don't think he knew he was quoting lyrics to a, a song from years ago, um, but it, it, it stuck with him. And when you're younger, you don't realize this, you don't think about this, but as you get older, you say, yes, it is a short walk from the cradle to the grave. So outside of being united with Jesus at His future second coming, we're all going to die. Or will we? Because Jesus says, if you keep my word, you'll never see death. He said that 2,000 years ago to people who have been dead for 2,000 years. They all died within a few years of Him saying that. Was He lying? Was He in error? Or did He really know what He was talking about? The problem is, is that we see our bodies as our identity. This is who I am in our culture, in our way of thinking. The body is one with the person. We place a premium upon the physical and we make the physical a greater reality than the unseen spiritual side of creation. Now I'm not saying that making light of it to say, well, that because we'll have eternal life if we are in Christ, that um, death isn't a big thing. Not at all. It's hard. It hurts. It's painful. And it's supposed to be. The psalmist would cry out in his writings, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We know that it means something for someone to pass on in this life. And the pain that comes from death comes from the brokenness of the bond that we hold with that person. The routines that seem so mundane that we now ache and long for because we know we'll never have those ordinary days. The good mornings and the good nights and the laughter and, and the fights and all those things that made up that relationship. We miss it and we miss them and it hurts and we cry and we ache and we feel empty and lonely and we should. It's part of the human experience. It's part of processing. It's part of grieving. So I'm not de dismissing death as something trivial. Uh, I know, like all of you, that it hurts. But I am here this morning with a word from our Lord Jesus Christ from the Scripture to declare that if you keep His word, you'll never see death. Because the real you, your soul, your consciousness, the you, capital Y-O-U, the you, the person, the being that lives inside of this vehicle that we call a body, you will never see death if you keep His Word, if you are in Christ. Maybe it helps if we understand what really took place when we were born again. We call it born again, new birth, regeneration, justification. It's all the same thing. Scripture uses different language for this this act that happens when we were brought from spiritual death to spiritual life. And once we have that spiritual life, new birth means new life and it means eternal life in Christ. It's the most famous scripture in the Bible. We preached about it a few weeks ago. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish. You'll never see death. Jesus said, if you believe in Him, you'll never die, but you will have everlasting life. John 11, we'll, we'll get to there in, here in a few weeks, but there's a story where, of Lazarus, where Lazarus' sister says to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. 
I think it's noteworthy here to see that the Jews understood, this is before the church is even in existence, the time of Jesus, an ordinary person living in that time understood from their scriptures that there would be a resurrection on the last day. This isn't something teaching that came about after Jesus was crucified and rose again. This is, this is pre-Calvary understanding in Judaism that there will be a resurrection on the last day. So she says, I know he'll live again at the resurrection. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. It's this paradox that yes, you're going to die and you're never going to see death. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asked her, do you believe this? And she said to him, this beautiful word, she says, yes, Lord. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Do you believe this? Because what I'm saying this morning can sound like such a far-fetched fairy tale. It can sound like what we learned about in school, Ponce de Leon and his eternal, his quest for the eternal fountain of youth 500 years ago and say, oh, what a, what a folly that was for Ponce de Leon to, to go to Florida to try to find the fountain of youth. Do you believe this? This is not a fairy tale. This, there is eternal life in Jesus Christ and you will never see death. 500 years from now, if you are in Christ today, 500 years from now, if someone asks you, what was it like today? You would be able to answer, that they would ask you, what was it like 500 years ago to die? What was that experience like? You may be able to answer them, I don't know, I never experienced death. I never saw it, I never tasted it. I lost my physical body for a season, but I was reunited with my physical reality when Christ returned. I never did see death. Well, what about that in between? What about when you lost your physical reality and then you gained it when Christ returned? What about that in between? What happened to you? What happens to a child of God when they die? It's one of the most fundamental questions that people ask about death. What happens when I die? The Bible does give some insight into this. People have been asking this question a long time. One of my favorite passages of Scripture in Philippians 1, Paul says, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Paul says, everything in me says I want to honor Christ in my body. And then he says, whether by life or by death. And Paul gets to do both. The Bible doesn't tell us, but history tells us that Paul is beheaded for the sake of the gospel. He loses his head. He is martyred for the sake of the gospel. But then he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When I die, I gain something. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I should choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Paul right here is saying, it is my desire to depart from this life now and be with Christ, but I need to stay here for your sake. I mean, Paul was, he talks like this a lot in his writings, and he basically says, you all need me. That's what he's saying. You need me to be here. You need me to help you. You need me to minister. Otherwise, I would just soon go, but I need to stay here for your sake. But he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So he says two things about death. He says, it's gain if I die, and it's better than staying here. And if you read all of Paul's writings, you never smell the fear of death. It doesn't exist. He died on a road to Damascus. 
His flesh, his will, his human desire, it died on a road to Damascus when he was struck down. When Christ called him, he abandoned everything that day. He had no fear of death. Why? Because Paul had an understanding about what happens to a believer when they die. But what, we still didn't answer the question. We answered the question, it's better. You know, I mean, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go today, right? I mean, that's the, you know, we, I want to go to heaven, just not today. So I'm standing here saying, yes, we know it's better. I'm not one that's saying I want, I can't, I cannot say what Paul said. I cannot make that statement. I would rather go be with Christ. I can't say that in all honesty. I don't want to go today. Paul could say that. I'd be lying to you if I said that. I mean, I don't know if I should feel that way. I don't. I just don't feel I want to be go to heaven, but just years, you know, I'll have eternity to spend <laughs> with yeah, there. I've, I've got some stuff to do here, you know. Let me finish this race out. So I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm like Paul saying, Lord, you could take me today. I'm, you know, Lord, please don't take me today, you know. <laughs> please understand what I'm saying here. I don't, want it, I don't want any wires crossed between me and my maker. I, I'm not Paul. I've had preacher friends that say they want to be like Paul. I'm like, no, you don't. I want to be like Timothy. Like, Timothy is my role model. Uh, Paul, I'm, I'm never going to be like Paul. But what happens to, what happens to us when we die? Well, this is what Paul says. 2 Corinthians 5, For we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. King James' language uh, in this instance, I think, does make it a little clearer what Paul's saying. I'm reading from the ESV. The King James, James says, To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So what Paul is doing here is he is externalizing the body. He is separating us from our body and he's making our body a place we call home. But he's not making our body the reality of who we are. The, the us, the me, the individual is not the body. The body is a place where we call home. That's the language Paul's using. So we have two options. Paul says you can't live in two places at once. You're either living in the body and absent from the Lord or you're away from the body, meaning death, you're absent from the body, King James, but you're at home with the Lord. So which is better? Where would you rather live, in this body or with the Lord? Where would you rather call home? We all have two places we call home if we're in Christ. For now, we call the body home. The body is not us, it's where we dwell. It's a temporary abode, and then someday when we our flesh dies, when the body goes under, then we will still be alive and we'll be, go home to be with the Lord. So what happens to a person when they die? They are in the presence of God. What that exactly looks like, nobody knows. We don't know what actually transpires there, but it's enough to know that it is a place of peace. It is a place of rest. It is in the presence of God. Paul says, when you die, when you lay this body down, you will go be with the Lord. That's why we can be encouraged. That's why we can have hope. That is not to say the body is inherently evil. That, that, that was, uh, I'm not going to go off on a rabbit trail on this, but at the time that they're writing this 2,000 years ago and they're steeped in Greek culture, that was a big part of Greek philosophy is that the physical world was inherently evil. 
And if you start reading, especially Plato, if you start reading Greek philosophy and it starts getting into these bizarre ideas about there being another complete reality that completely reflects the physical in the unseen world, and that is the better, that is the, the, the real world, and it's a, it, it's a misguided use of how Scripture looks at the unseen and the seen. And this is what they were battling 2,000 years ago at the time of Christ when they're writing this. So it's not to say that the body is inherently evil, because in eternity, and this is, this is where American Christianity gets this wrong, and thankfully the last few years there's been a real resurgence of biblical understanding of what eternal, looks, eternal life looks like. In eternity, we will not be spirit beings floating around heaven. There is no scripture for that. Or the sky or up there. There's a far side cartoon where the guy's sitting there on a cloud with his wings and he says to himself, I sure wish I'd have brought a magazine. You know, it's like, <laughs> no, that's not, that's not the picture of, of, of heaven. We're going to have physical bodies. We will inhabit a new heaven and a new earth. That is the biblical understanding of what eternal, looks, eternal life looks like. We will live in a physical reality that is more real and more concrete than this one. Paul said, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. So Christ resurrected from the dead. He has a physical body. When he had his physical body, he still walked around, met with people. He was a physical reality, but it was now a glorified body. It was far different than what he had before. So Paul says, we will have a body like as unto his glorious body. Tony Fairchild was uh, president of the Bradford Academy. It was a, a Christian school out on the East Coast. And I want to read to you what, what he wrote. He said, I am a deer hunter. That is to say, I enjoy hunting deer, even though I am not very good at it. I have often sat in the woods waiting for daylight on a morning hunt. I look up at the multitude of stars all around me, and I am in awe of God's power. There is a moment right at daybreak when a single bird chirps and is quickly joined by others. Squirrels scramble out of their nests and down the trees. The temperature drops a few degrees, and I can begin to see the fog rising from the creek. Sometimes in that moment, if my mind is not distracted by my to-do list or thoughts of how cold I am or my desire for coffee, I am utterly amazed by the tangible, indescribable realness of God's creation. There are many such moments in our lives, but I am afraid that most of the time we miss them. We spend our days seeing but not seeing, tasting but not tasting. Reader, I would like to encourage you to stop and soak in the realness of God's creation, the isness of everything that surrounds us, what C.S. Lewis calls the quiddity of things. In the book, Surprised by Joy, Lewis speaks of a friend who encouraged in him a determination to rub one's, one's nose in the very quiddity of each thing to rejoice in its being so magnificently what it was. This is the way God intended us to see His creation." End quote. I read this because it's the only other reference besides one person. Uh, this is only the second reference I've ever read where someone talked about C.S. Lewis. If you've never read C.S. Lewis, 
you're cheating yourself in life uh, to read C.S. Lewis, one of the greatest Christian authors that ever lived. Uh, if you're not familiar with him, uh, he started out an atheist uh, in England and gradually worked his way until he just had such a, a revelation in, uh, of who God is. Uh, he died on the same day as John F. Kennedy was assassinated, if that gives you some reference to the time frame that he lived, uh, but was a prolific uh, English writer and still today one of the most famous Christian authors of the 20th century. And I've read a lot of Lewis, and in Lewis's book, Surprised by Joy, he talks about the quiddity of things, the wetness of the water, the warmth of the sun, the texture of the grass under your feet, the whatness of it all, the reality. And I say that to tie that back to eternity, that that is what eternity will be like. It's not gonna be floating around in some ethereal existence without borders, some abstract painting that you can't quite define. It's concrete. It's a reality that will be bursting with God's glory far greater than the realities that we live today. That is what awaits the child of God. Paul said, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made you free from the law of sin and death. When you are in Christ, when you have the Spirit of Christ in you, you are free from the law of sin and death. Paul called the law, talking about the Old Testament law, later in 2 Corinthians, he called it the ministry of death. He's talking about everything that was in the Old Testament. He says, the ministry of death. And a few verses later, 2 Corinthians 4, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Let me read that verse again. We always carry in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal bodies. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Just beautiful verses. A few verses later, he says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he writes these incredible words, uh, words that C.S. Lewis would entitle a book later uh, after what Paul wrote, uh, after what Paul writes. Paul says this light momentary affliction, that's what he calls this life. This life is a light and momentary affliction and it is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So, and this was C.S. Lewis's book, probably his most well-known book, The Weight of Glory. And Lewis is, is writing after this verse that Paul is talking about. This light momentary affliction, this life, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory that cannot be compared. You will never see death. Revelation 21, but for the cowardly and the faithless and the detestable and the murderers and the sexually immoral and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There is a place of eternal death, but it is not the place for the child of God. 
If you are only born once, you will die twice. You'll die a physical death, and you'll die the, you'll have the eternal existence, what the Bible calls the second death. But if you are born twice in this life, a physical birth and then born again, born again, regenerated in Christ, and abide in His Word, you will never see death. Eternal life is found only in the gospel of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection. The gospel is centered around life and death and then life again, eternal and everlasting life. Several years ago, there was, uh, we did this Easter drama at our church. It was a big production. Just, just, we really went all out for it. Had weeks and weeks and weeks of practice and uh, had a lot of people come. It, it was a production. And at the end of the drama, I was, I was the son. Now, I was 20, 21 years old at the time. So I had a guy, it was Jerry Alvis, was, was playing my father, and he was an unbeliever in the, in the play. And I, could, I was trying to witness to, to Dad and all this, these things, and he wouldn't have anything of it. So uh, Jerry was our worship leader at our church, but in the drama, he, he played an unbelieving father. And he gets up from the kitchen table and disgusts, and I don't want anything to do with this, and he something to the effect of, stop talking to me about this. And he gets up and he storms out. At the very end of the drama, I stand up, and I read a scripture about the coming of the Lord. And then I shut my Bible. And now we practice this many, many, many times because this, the timing and the sinking of this has to be right. Or it, it, if, if it's off, the drama fails because this is how it, how it finishes. And, and we, got it, we got it right. But... I was standing here, the kitchen table here. There was a set of stairs that was behind me about here, and it was about this, this high of stairs. It just had some steps, and it ended here. And what would happen was, I would close the Bible, the, all the house lights would go out. There would be a trumpet that sounded, and that was a scripture that I read, at the last trump, the dead in Christ shall rise, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the clouds of glory, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So now we're going to dramatize the rapture of the church, the catching of the way of the bride of Christ to meet Him. And the way that we did this is when they cut the house lights, there was a strobe light that went on. And the strobe light was on me, and I would turn around, and I would go up the stairs fairly quickly. And when I got to the top of the stairs, I would jump as high as I could. And because the strobe light is all that you see, you couldn't see me actually climbing the steps. And I saw this on video. It actually looked like I was just descending. And then when I jumped, it got me pretty high in the air. Um, and the platform was, uh, it was like this. It was concrete floors with very thin carpet. And I don't know why we didn't think to put a mattress back there for me to land on. But, you know, I came down a pretty good clip. But when you're 20, you, you land on the concrete and get back up. We had practiced this. I mean, I had done this jump many, many, many times. Because, again, if this fails, it kind of loses the effect. Well, as I am in the air, as soon as I get to the high point, they cut the lights, they cut the strobe light, the, the house lights are off, the strobe light goes off, and before I hit the ground, the music has to hit full force. Because if you hear the raptured guy hit the floor, it kind of loses its effect. <laughs> it's like, eh, he didn't really get raptured, right? 
And so, I mean, the piano and everybody, their drums, I mean, they're all over there. So I get to the full point, and as soon as my high point, they cut the lights, and as soon as they cut the lights, the music hits full force. You never hear me hit. Well, we had practiced this over and over and over. That night, however, um, when I jumped, I guess with, in the excitement of it being live, I went full force and I went too far this way. And back against this wall was a stone wall that was a baptistry. There was brick on either side and then where the baptistry was it was just solid stone and then went about this high and then there was the baptistry behind that. And I body planted in that rock wall. I jumped as hard as I could and I remember coming down and the thing is it's dark so you didn't see it coming. And my whole body hit that and I bounced off that stone wall. I never hit the ground first. I, my whole body hit the wall, I bounced back. And by the time I hit everything, the music was going. And I remember laying there and the only thing on my mind was, how hurt am I? Really, I mean that's, I laid there, I remember very clearly laying on the floor and hearing, you know, like it's just going so well out here. The, the drama has had its effect they start this music, the song was called He's Alive, and it's just powerful. It was a big song for Easter back then. And I had none of, no part of it. I was laying there and I thought, I'm hurt, and how hurt am I? Um, and actually, I wasn't that hurt. I don't, didn't break anything or any bad injuries, but it was painful. Um, so, why we didn't put a mattress back there is beyond me. Um, What's that all about? What were we dramatizing? I mean, what, what was this play about? Is that really going to happen? Does it make sense that Christ is going to come back in the clouds and, and we're going to usher Him back? Now, I want to say something about the rapture because if there's anything that has bad understanding in Christianity today in America, it's the events that are going to happen in the future. The idea that the church is going to be caught away and go to heaven um, in the rapture from the writings of Paul is not there. There is zero scripture for that. None. Uh, it doesn't exist in the text. Paul says we'll be caught up and we have to make a decision whether we think that's literal. I think it's literal. I take it as literal. There are some brilliant biblical scholars that think it's all figurative. Uh, I, I have not been convinced of that. I think that the what we call the caught up, what we, it's not a Bible word, but what we call the rapture. I think the church will physically be removed from this earth in the clouds to meet Christ in the air. I'm on board with that. But what happens with us after that is, and what Paul is using here, Paul is using Caesar language. He's borrowing from the culture. He's borrowing a word that was well used. People were already familiar with it. And what would happen is when a king would come and they would see him in the city from afar off, they would go out, and this is the word that Paul uses in the Greek for caught up, this rapture word, they would go out inside the city and they would meet him before he gets to the city and then they would usher the king back into the city. The language is to go out and to bring him back. And the language here is that Christ is going to return to this earth, which he will, the second coming, will be caught up with him and we will meet Him in the air and we will usher Him back to set up and rule and reign forever. What's that all about? It sounds, it sounds far-fetched unless you believe the Bible, unless you believe the words of Scripture. 
but it is because He rose again and lives that I can live forever. It's because He lives that Christ will return and there will be a resurrection from the dead. When that time comes, Paul said, when that time comes, for this we declare to you, let me just read to you what what Paul says, so you can hear the actual words. For this we declare to you, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Now, fallen asleep is a biblical way of saying to die. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There will be a future resurrection. Then we who are alive, this is the verse that we base rapture theology on, we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up, Two words in English, one word that Paul's using in in his original language will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. This is one of those things, like a lot of other areas in Bible prophecy, that people can get so hung up on the order or the exact way things will happen that they'll miss the beauty and the glory that this is what is going to happen. However it plays out. The point of this is that when we are caught up with Him, that last phrase, so shall we ever be with the Lord, that's, that's the hope. When that happens, I will be with the Lord from that day for all eternity. What happens with Bible prophecy after that? Who cares? I'm with Jesus at that point. Like, I'm with Him. That's all that matters. It's not something to be feared, and I know this because of what Paul says in verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Everything that I'm saying, this is your encouragement about the future. It's not supposed to scare you. Yeah. Or being a kid and, and just being terrified of this idea of the rapture. You know, oh my, Paul says, no, don't be afraid of it. This is your hope. This is your encouragement. Because he lives, I can live. Because he was born, he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again. I will never see death. That was Paul. Peter says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. This is how we're born again, through the living and abiding Word of God. And then Paul or Peter quotes Isaiah, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God remains forever. And this Word is the good news that was preached to you. You were born again of water and spirit through the living and abiding Word of God. Jesus said, if you keep my Word, you will never see death. Your eternal life is secured through the living and abiding Word of God. And it is because His Word abides forever, and it is because His Word never fails, that you have eternal life. Nothing that you can do, nothing that you can merit, it's because His Word is eternal. And it abides in you, that you're born again through the Word of God. That is what causes you to have eternal life. Back at the beginning of the series, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He's talking about Jesus. And then John says, John 1.4, in Him was life. Jesus is life. You are not going to get eternal life in the future. You have eternal life living in you right now if you have Christ. Your body is going to die, but you will never see death. I have to read this one more passage of Scripture and then I'll close. 
Behold, I tell you a mystery, Paul said. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on the immortality, then shall come to pass that is the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. I was reading quotes last night about death, just trying to grab some different things that's out there in the culture. and uh, it, it, it attributed to J.K. Rowling, the author of Harry Potter, the last enemy that shall be defeated is death. And I said, she didn't say that. She might have, she did say that in Harry Potter, but Paul said that 2,000 years ago. Like, don't attribute that to J.K. Rowling. She's not the one that came up with that. She's quoting him. And Rowling would admit, it is readily admitted. I mean, everybody knows Paul says this. Uh, the last enemy to be defeated is, is death. My grandmother's sitting here this morning. My grandfather passed away seven years ago. And at his speaking at his funeral, I made the statement. And I remember stepping back from the pulpit and just bellowing it out. I said, Russell Emery is not dead. I said it at his funeral. He is more alive than he has ever been before. That's the biblical reality. He never saw death. I saw it but he didn't. And you can insert the name of people you know that were in Christ and say they are more alive today than they are ever been. We say, well, they're in a better place. And we say that like they were upgraded to first class. <laughs> like, well, this is okay, but, you know, like we're eating McDonald's and they're now at a steakhouse. Well, no, that's not, that's not a, the better place. That's the understatement of the century. They are in the presence of Almighty God. And we can't comprehend what that looks like. We can't. We can't know what it's like to experience the full glory of God. What Paul said, Paul said this is the earnest of our inheritance, talking about the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And now that's the earnest of our inheritance. It's like earnest money. It's just, we think this is great to come together and experience the glory of God. And it is. It's wonderful to come together and experience God. But it's nothing like, what will be on the other side. This is not a make-believe story. We will all slip out of this robe of flesh into the terrific reality of eternity someday, and we will never see death. And when we get to the other side, close with the words of this song. Surrounded by His glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or will I in all of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. And that is the reality for us today. What is on the other side for us, we don't know. But we live as Christians with hope and expectation that for the ups and downs and trials and joys of this life, there is a life to come. There is an eternal life that is the hope 
of the child of God. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I thank you today, along with the people that are here, with our wonderful congregation, that you provided a way of escape for us, that death no longer has the sting it had, that the grave no longer has the victory, Lord, we don't know when you will return. You could return in our lifetime. And if you do, we anticipate and look forward to that day. But if we lay this body down before you come, we know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, that we're going to be with you in greater ways than we are even now. And then someday when you return to this earth to set things right, to set things in order, to restore and renew the creation that with that renewed creation will come a new body and eternal life where we will live and rule and reign with you forever. That is the hope of the child of God. That is our hope today that keeps our lives in proper perspective. Lord, we thank you for this reality this morning. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.